It's Zach Lively Chi-Chi. I'm so popular. Last week on the show, we discussed Alan Hollinghurst and Ronald Furbank. This week, we are doubling down on the homoeroticism uh, with a look at the photography of Bruce Weber and Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some. And I'm joined by a fabulous guest tonight. Who are you? Hi, I'm Vera, or LV on Twitter. Hi, Vera. What are you doing? Well, I'm chatting with the fabulous Miss Chichi about some of our favorite topics. Yes, beautiful men, who I which <laughs> I talk about at this rate almost every week, and I just don't think I'm ever going to stop. Um, mm-hmm. But that aside, uh, why do you follow me? You know, it's funny. Um, I follow you because I saw you in my recommended follows, and I saw Chichi in your name, and I thought of. Chichi LaRue, who is one of, um, who's the director of one of my favorite pornos <laughs> um, called uh, Switching Gears, a bisexual transmission. It's really um, funny because I, I thought maybe Chichi had something to do with Chichi LaRue, but I don't know if that's the case. I wish it did because I am aware of Chichi LaRue and I, I think she is stunning. Um, and uh, I mean, what a special presence but I really was just thinking of um the Azealia Banks song okay (laughs) but yeah that's that's one of the reasons I followed um so yeah oh thank you I mean I um I'm so glad that I've been uh keeping up with you on the Twitter spiral just because you have I mean just one of the most refined and artistic sensibilities about art and photography and the idols of years past I can't believe like how strong like your sense of art is and it's so fabulous to see what you're thinking about and posting and um our shared love for Madonna is really special too so I'm very glad to have you here well thank you (laughs) it's my pleasure also I uh listened to you on the salt box discussing Jersey Shore and and that was just that was just another wonderful understanding of something that I just feel like no one gets at all. Yeah, Jersey Shore is incredible. It's a masterwork um, from Sally and Salsano, and I will always love it. You know, it always has a special place in my heart, and it's ongoing. I don't know if it's ever going to end. No, no. I think we'll be having series about their children in 30 years from now, and... Um, I love to see them become more decayed every year. And mm-hmm. um, I was just mentioning this to someone, but there is something really sexy to me about like a former like sex symbol, like Mike, the situation Sorrentino, um, who just becomes generally more distended and bloated and hasn't like their plastic surgery falling out of their face. Um, <laughs> I find it very sexy for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, every season, it's a new face on at least the women. And I think um, around like season four or five of Family Reunion, Polly got some insane fillers and he looks Arab now. And he just, he kind of got like the Zac Efron thing, you know, like the male fillers. Um, And uh, it's, yeah, a sight to behold. Oh, it certainly is. I love Family Vacation. I think it's one of the most special reality shows of, like, the last five years. It's mm-hmm. so fabulous to see them continue to, like, try 
performing their older bits while also reconciling their public images. It feels very uh, postmodern and kind mm-hmm. of um, Lynchian and, and empty in a lot of ways. And it is a really beautiful artistic experience, I think. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating too, because um, the Jersey Shore, like, story you know spans over a decade now and you see how much reality tv has changed um because it's the same people and it's the same producers but the content and how they film it and the terms of their filming are very different i mean they kind of come and go as they please in family vacation which is not the case in the original series where they were like in a torture chamber, like locked <laughs> and forced to interact with each other, which is like the old style. And, and you know, if you're a nobody new to reality TV, that's what they do to you. Yeah. I, the only other long form reality show that I think explains so much of culture over time is the Kardashians, um, like the, the recent Hulu show in juxtaposition with Keeping Up, mm-hmm. uh, which had, you know, 20 seasons and also featured the torture chamber element because now it's clear they have a lot more agency over deciding what goes on and how they present themselves but Mm -hmm. uh, the very harsh contrast between those definitely delineates like an interesting shift in culture and I feel like uh, Family Vacation is one of the only other shows that's done that yeah that's very true I think the Kardashians is a good one and I think the real world which nobody ever talks about but the real world was actually the first true reality tv show it predated survivor um came out in 94 and um it had many many seasons i think it's still going i have stopped watching but um that was the first show to just throw a bunch of random people in a house and then create fake drama and there was a moment where there was like an hiv positive gay mexican guy and then like a white skinhead neo-nazi guy and the producers like staged a fight between them i don't like i'm vaguely remembering this stuff but that kind of um really you know set the kind of standard for that type of freeform reality tv yeah i love the real world and i think it definitely has a flair in its early run for Mm -hmm. the transcendental because like you said it does identify these undercurrents of cultural tension and then uh stages people like chess pieces to fight it out for Mm -hmm. america's catharsis and as that becomes generally less of the case and it becomes a little bit like more bogged down in the sex mire i was uh even more enthralled with it i watched like i think four years uh, of it um when i was in middle school and high school um Mm -hmm. between like the real world Portland and they did a Vegas season as well. And um, it was a lot of masturbation fodder for me as a child. So (laughs) I'm very Mm -hmm. glad about that show's existence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. It was always fun and and titillating, you know, to watch um, this stuff that was clearly kind of modeled after like girls gone wild kind of, you know, um, pornographic like stuff. Um, just slightly toned down a little for an MTV audience. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it is so sensual. Reality TV definitely doesn't hit that nerve anymore. I think that MTV kind of is still 
doing its best to keep that up with stuff like the challenge um but Mm -hmm. i can't even bother to keep up with the mythos of that show but um yeah honestly like the only reality tv outside of like the kardashians and family vacation that i'm like still like studiously keeping up with is um uh, selling sunset have you watched any of it i love selling sunset i love it i'm obsessed oh my god i love selling sunset i love that they all are just Barbie, sex doll, girl boss, like Glamazon. They're all like seven feet tall. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's like finally, you know, blonde, attractive women on TV. You just don't really see attractive women on TV ever anymore. And And so it's so exciting and titillating mm -hmm. to have them there. And I feel like the staging and sort of like, production semantics around them make it like very high wire and like fringed out and kind of uncomfortable and and scary at times Mm -hmm. like it's a very tense show to watch somehow it is yeah and it's also a very expensive looking show which is nice because there's this kind of warmth to selling sunset visually that you do not see in reality tv anymore and they are ring lighting the shit out of them because they all look <laughs> like they aren't people. I mean, they look, like I said, like sex doll Barbie girl boss girls. And um, it's like this kind of surreal, almost like daytime soap looking, um, you know, visual. Uh, and I and I love it. And I don't think you see that on other reality TV shows right now. No. And I love that the, the it's like anti-drama. Like, mm-hmm. one thing happened at the end of season one, and then everyone's been dealing with that for, I think, like, four more seasons now. Um, <laughs> one it, thing called Christine happened. Yeah. <laughs> Who is the most compelling reality TV creation of the last 15 years, far and away. Yeah, I actually, I mean, I, like, I, you, you love to hate her, you know, um, and... She's just, yeah, she's fascinating because she is so, like, Randian, and she's just like, I'm right, and I am a goddess, and everyone else can either get on board or they can get on my way. And it's so rare to see an actual reality TV villain these days because everyone is so afraid of public backlash, but she doesn't yes. seem to care. And it's, like, very refreshing. Um there's so oh, much, I, I mean, I could go on about that forever. So. Yeah, I, there hasn't been a reality TV villain, like, since, like, season six of Drag Race. Like, mm-hmm. there, there's, like, nobody who's willing to be an unhinged antagonist. And watching her, like, artfully uh, try to present herself as, like, I'm right about everything. Everyone else is hurting me. While she looks quite literally unbelievably skinny. So fucking tall. <laughs> And clothes that seem so expensive that you are, like, left to wonder how any one human could afford them. Well, they're, like, what I love is that they all wear really expensive clothes, but they are the most hideous, like, trashy, new money yes, clothing. Uh... It's it's so West Coast, um, and I love it. And they're all the most gauche, you know, uh, nouveau riche people you've ever seen. And, um, yeah, Christine progressively looks more and more like a drag queen each season. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Like she's, she's going to be the next Chi Chi LaRue. Just you wait. (laughs) 
I hope so. I want to see a selling sunset porno. <laughs> I do too. I mean, it seems like the logical like a logical yeah. conclusion of all this. I'm fighting tooth and nail by the way to get her on this fucking show. Um she has, she's liked about three of my tweets. I've sent emails to her agents. I have sent her Instagram DMs. I am like trying every little possible avenue in my like book to get mm-hmm. Christine on this damn show. Oh my gosh. I hope that happens. She's gone wow. on some dumpy podcasts before. So, you know, mine's dumpy, but like, you know what? I would have a key <laughs> with her. I know she would. She'd have a blast. So Christine, I'm telling you, you got to come on. Yes, please come on. Grace everyone with your presence. You won't regret it. I'm trying to imagine the Christine Sirens episode. That would <laughs> like be insane. The idea of like a paywalled chat between <laughs> Christine. <laughs> oh, oh God. Um, all of this, um, you know, very clear and, and transient understanding of Americana and um, American beauty as art is exactly why I wanted to bring you on today to talk a little bit about Bruce Weber, the legendary fashion photographer. Uh, He was Mm -hmm. born in 1946 and is probably most famous for his ad campaigns for stuff like Calvin Klein and Abercrombie and Fitch. Um, But I've always been uh, a a really big fan of him just for his ability to kind of give birth to so much sexual imagery. And I feel like he has a, a huge hand that grasps the culture by the neck and I'm really fascinated by his worldview and uh, aesthetic push forward and I wanted to know how you first uh, became interested in Mr. Weber. Yes well I mean I agree he's he's one of the greats of the latter half of the 20th century fashion photographers Um, and I actually um, came to his work through Herb Ritz, um, who I saw an exhibition of at the Getty when I was 14. And um, I was so awed by the work of Herb Ritz that, you know, I I then um, kind of looked at his contemporaries and um, Bruce Weber was one. Bruce Weber actually um, advised Herb Ritz early in Herb Ritz's career, but, so that's how I, I kind of, you know, enc- like encountered his work through other <laughs> photographers first. But I, in the past year especially, have been diving into my archives uh, for Bruce Weber's pictures because I'm so fascinated with his vision of homoeroticism and um, the warmth and like love with which he depicts all of his subjects specifically the the male subjects I mean most you can tell (laughs) who he prefers to photograph um (laughs) and he you can tell that he just loves men and he loves male beauty and um it's moving I think and there's a reason why his photography was so popular and it's because people saw something beautiful in it you know and um it it will be eternal regardless of what people try to do absolutely yeah i feel like bruce weber's eye for masculinity and his i mean just unparalleled skill in presenting it exactly how he sees it there's something about the nature of his photographs where he's 
often photographing these like semi-nude or completely you know naked men but he has like a, a style to him that makes it so that you're seeing them exactly as he does and that's mm-hmm. something I've always wanted to you know be capable of doing is to uh, reimagine the world in my vision and then convince people of it ubiquitously. And, mm-hmm. you know, looking back at all of these photographs um, and, and seeing precisely how he envisions it, it's very touching to see someone who can communicate their vision so well. Yes, definitely. And he, he, you know, is from, um, I think, a rural town um, in Pennsylvania. I might be wrong about that, but he likes to photograph his subjects in rural settings, oftentimes by lakes. And he likes to show their personality and their faces. And the reason I say that is because um, her Brits, who you know is a contemporary of his, often obscures the faces of his subjects. And it's more of an emphasis on the body because it's more uh, of a um, sculptural photograph whereas Bruce Weber is more like the boy next door and the joy and kind of male camaraderie and a casual beauty you know um and you can clearly see his inspiration you know it's kind of like small town America and family is a huge part of his work too he loves to photograph families and he um grew up photographing his family. It was a common thing. Um, He said every Sunday his family would take pictures of each other. I mean, this is kind of like when the personal camera was um, kind of a new thing to, Mm -hmm. you know, middle-class Americans and they love to take pictures. And um, my dad's family did this too. I mean, people loved to have this new technology and the power to take pictures. And so family is a big part of his work. And it's funny because family is also, I think, a big part of Linklater's work, too. At least you see the you see where they're coming from is clearly coming from their family background and family dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I believe he was like born to a Jewish family as well. And um, I just am obsessed with like Jewish perversion and um, they're like very like public Uh, enjoyment of working through their sexual neuroses and because it's like so upfront and frank I have never felt uncomfortable or like surprised or a little like grossed out by anything he's ever done like I I think Mm -hmm. almost every single photograph he's ever taken kind of radiates with this uh wholesome love and embracement of what makes him kind of like a you know what would most most people be a pervert like he's taking Mm -hmm. these um extremely like scantily clad objectifying photos and yet he is embracing it with, with such a full heart that any amount of like sexual depravity in display here is just this like warm enlightening sensation Yes. Well, he apparently is a joy to work with and um, everyone who is a normal person has always said (laughs) nice things about him and people who don't say nice things clearly have some sort of agenda. Um, And I mean, you, you know, Naomi Campbell always says great things. I mean, most people who work with him say great things. When you listen to him in interviews, he is this angel teddy bear. Like he's 
a sweetheart. You can just tell, you know, and he does everything with love. I mean, you can just tell how much he loves his subjects and loves what he does. And he loves them as they are. He's fiercely against um, digital editing of photos. He only uses film. And so, you know, he wants people to look as they are and he loves them as they are. That's so touching. I didn't even know he photographed Naomi Campbell. I just had to like Google it. And I mean, I'm so shocked, like immediately. Mm -hmm. These images are just breathtaking. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's photographed all the greatest, you know, um, and they all say wonderful things about him. <laughs> yeah, you know, the thing we're kind of like walking around is that he was, uh, you know, mass canceled um, during like the height of Me Too around 2017 uh, for having allegedly like groped or like assaulted some of his models. And um, I could not give less of a fuck because no matter like what he was doing behind uh, the camera, the art he produces is so full of radiant joyfulness and mm -hmm. I, I can't even understand how you could want to dismiss him for, for what he may or may not have done when what he's producing is objectively good. Yes. More. I mean, that's how I feel about all of the photographers that were um, canceled within the same year, <laughs> um, one after the other, you know. Um, if you look at the photographs, you see that the models are happy and um yeah i mean i don't even want to give too much credence to like you know that whole thing because it's none at all we, we know what it is if you watch the view <laughs> interview with the two guys you can see what's going on um if you have half a brain <laughs> no absolutely it was very disgusting to me that like content asked like just like decided to completely exile him from everything and etc um, I just get like get like this uh, revolting feeling in my stomach whenever mm -hmm. I am choosing to humiliate myself with a pitchfork review, and there is the flashing ad for Condé Nast with Lady Gaga in the corner that says "Our Legends," like our taste, and it feels extremely abrasive to me, and I I want to burn their whole offices down. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he and Terry Richardson and Mario Testino and. Um, Patrick Demarchelier, I mean, all these guys who were the greats, you know, um, and still are, you know, the ones who are still alive, um, even though they can't work anymore, <laughs> you know, to, for their <laughs> own industry to throw them out after everything they contributed is horrible. Um, and especially with Bruce Weber, it was especially sad and disheartening because what was going on with that was, you know, gay men were throwing another gay bisexual, I think Bruce Weber is probably like a 4.5 on the Kinsey scale, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> throwing him like under the bus for a spectacle, you know, for like a kind of heterosexual audience, you know, where they were like um, evoking these images, you know, these scary images of predatory, you know, gay guy or whatever. Um, and it was just atrocious. Yeah, because the heterosexual audience, um, they don't even understand that their entire erotic worldview is being masterfully crafted behind the scenes by arty faggots who have a clear eye and, like, a Nietzschean will to power that 
lets them create these images and then uh, sink them deeply into the culture. They have no idea that this is going on to them. And so when they become even vaguely like aware of it, they revolt with these absurdist performance art pieces of, of Me Too against a person who, who has honestly given them a career and a sense of mm-hmm. the erotic and a sense of any artfulness at all. And I, of course, um, want nothing to do with it. I don't even want to acknowledge it. And uh, I, fuck, fuck it all. It's horrible. Exactly. And, that's, and that can bring us to the first photo um, that you selected to, to look at. Um, and so... Yeah. I've, I've put together a, a slideshow <laughs> of some pictures for us to talk about. And I will, um, for subscribers on the Patreon, I will link it in the Discord. And otherwise, you'll just have to look at them up yourselves. <laughs> Sounds good. So the first photo here, the reason why what you're saying kind of brought me to this is because um, this first photo is... Bruce Weber for Versace. He did a lot of photography for Versace. Um, so there's not a year on this one. I'm going to say it's probably 96. Um, and it's an obvious um, reference to St. Sebastian. And it's a man with long hair kind of giving Brendan Fraser Tarzan. Um, and he is pierced with arrows and there is a Versace. It's hard to tell exactly what it is, a, a long scarf or some sort of robe. Perhaps a shirt or a towel. Yeah. We'll, we'll never know. Around um, his, you know, genitals to keep it peachy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when I look at this, this was widely circulated at the time. And so heterosexuals, you know, homosexuals, heterosexuals, et cetera, we're, we're mm. looking at this picture and um, women loved this. They didn't look at this and think this is gay. They loved it, you know, because at this point, it, you know, they weren't jumping to that conclusion. They weren't thinking about, you know, is this homoerotic? They, they were more in touch with their desire, you know, heterosexual women were more in touch with their desire. And I think they just admired this for what it is, which is a beautiful man um, in a pose that is essential and, and eternal in Western art, you know, that Bruce Weber is, is depicting for our enjoyment, you know, and as a kind of uh, new school photographer in the later half of the 20th century, the clothing, which is actually the commodity here that's supposed to be, you know, it's fashion photography. The clothing is like, not the focus. The focus is the subject. That's right. There's something really special to me about this uh, St. Sebastian riff here. Um, You know, Mishima is also very famous for having himself photographed in various uh, St. Sebastian evocative poses. Um, Mm -hmm. But this one feels so warm and like uh, an opening to some kind of sensual gate. Uh, not only is it uh, kind of like a rare color photo for him, but uh, mm-hmm. the arrows are, are very v- uh, vibrant and bright. There's really almost an absence of blood. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. only in some, it's it's so like s- slim and uh, it, it doesn't even communicate in the photo. And it really feels like um, this great touch with, like you said, like this ancient like Western art image 
and bringing that into a contemporary sense with this uh, pleasant and inviting warmth in the in the colorization and everything, it, it feels so special to to see that kind of inviting take on on that otherwise like very violent sexual image. Yes, and there's nothing about this image that makes you want to look away, even though it's someone who is dying and is you know pierced with arrows and is is being tortured. You know, it's you you want to look and you want to feast your eyes on this, you know, beautiful depiction of a very tragic, um, you know, situation. But um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see his interpretation of this iconic image. And I love that it's for a commercial. I love that this is selling something. I mean, mm-hmm. isn't that such a beautiful use of the, advertising hellscape i mean i haven't ever been like turned on by a commercial in in any recent memory and i love the idea that these people were just recklessly you know barreling forward with these uh sexualizations i feel like it's special to link your erotic impulse with your commercial one um so brazenly and mm-hmm. now the way that it's conducted is, is so uh, sterile and like um, placid, it mm-hmm. feels very placating, and this is much more of a, of a temptation. And even though it's so inviting and sweet, it still is a you know that kind of a relationship with capital. And I just love seeing people uh, sell with sex. Yeah, I mean, advertising used to be very artistic, and you know, there were visionaries leading advertising agencies and they were visionary photographers and they were allowed to grace everyone with their artworks essentially. And, you know, since, um, (laughs) it's hard to get an exact date since the past like 15 years or so, um, it's culture by committee and visionaries are not allowed to just barrel forward with you know their beautiful art they they have to run it past like you know 15 people and then another 15 people and then you know a bureaucrat and then blah 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 i mean it bruce weber never would have been able to make it had that been the process um but i'm so grateful that his work is preserved and you know that i mean he's still working uh he's still trying to work but yeah yeah i feel like he won't ever be able to be truly stopped because he is such a a powerful force forward um we can go we can go to the next photograph Mm -hmm. here which is from a bear pond published in 1990 and uh it's mostly a, a collection of nude photographs of uh like you mentioned earlier these uh men in uh, the woods and these uh, beautiful nude photographs of uh, people in kind of a natural setting. And these are some of the most like wholesomely sexual photographs I've ever seen. And I feel like that's like the only way to really describe it. But this one picture is a man uh, submerged in water, uh, winking at the camera. And uh, it's very simple, but I don't know, something about this was really evocative to me. Mm-hmm. Well, Bear Pond is um amazing it has um kind of been in the news again lately because of that 
hideous uh, recovery and fitch documentary um and now it's a lot harder to buy than it was before but it is it's like a hundred photographs of um just all american boys in a lake <laughs> and this is um work where there is nudity and because with his commercial work he had to do you know they had to be covered up a little um but yeah like you said even though there's nudity um it's so wholesome <laughs> and it's just it's just it's like guys having fun you know and this picture in particular you know it's just it's interesting because like not much is exposed you know it's just the shoulders of this man but he is it's just he's bruce weber is obsessed with the kind of casual moments like casual beauty and he just finds like beauty in, in you know things that people wouldn't really think about and he captures the moment when he captures it then you can see what he sees oh my god i mean you have it so right like that's why these pictures like are so touching for me is because I feel constantly cursed by uh, witnessing something beautiful that uh, would probably make no sense to anyone else. But he has the power to evoke these performances from his subjects of uh, this casual attitude and this uh, run-of-the-mill daily procedure. He can kind of encourage that and from it extract like this perfect image of beauty like looking at this one man submerged in the lake and his uh kind of like put upon wink and uh the drawn up smile this is something mm -hmm. you'd probably like see whenever you're like out with a, a group of all american men uh but it's so precisely tuned here that it feels almost like cosmic and how attractive it is yes and it's also um situational because what I see when I look at this is he's probably just dipped in the lake and there's water in his eyes and so he's kind of blinking it away and you know the contortion of the face which would otherwise be thought of as ugly is captured here and it looks beautiful you know and um it's just a miracle that we can look at this um you know, photography capturing a certain kind of beauty that you you don't really see um, elsewhere. It is a miracle. I mean, it is so special that people often view photography as like the voyeuristic art form that is like a kind of prying into reality and sullying it with the sinful voyeuristic eye. But this is so radiant with me. It's like a very, um, like, it's like a symbiotic relationship because you can tell that, like, Weber is really getting these men to kind of uh, put on the show for him and express themselves in this beautiful, simple way. Mm -hmm. And to see, like, that kind of bond between them in the photographic form, I, I think, is just wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I when I think of photography, I mean, it's really, it depends on the photographer and, you know, you don't feel any sort of like perverse or um, any intrusion, you know, with his subjects. It just, they feel at home. They, they're clearly comfortable 
yeah. and he makes them comfortable. I mean, Naomi Campbell has said he goes out of his way to make sure his subjects are comfortable, you know, and he often um, photographs babies. And so you have to be, um, you know, a people person and, and know how to deal with fussy subjects <laughs> if you're, you know, um, photographing entire families. Um, this is the the first black and white picture we're looking at together here. And I, I did want to ask what you think about his use of black and white as his main kind of uh, mode. Most of the images I think people associate with him are in black and white. Mm-hmm. And something about his... Oh, sorry. Oh, I thought my boyfriend was picking... Never mind. Anyway, something about like the, the, the use of the, the black and white here. I, I think it really like uh, touches on like that familiarity and like... Uh, familiar relationship with the subject yes I mean so he would have grown up with black and white photography and he just has a preference for black and white and for film and the thing about black and white photography and black and white movies is that you can illuminate your subjects in this way that you can't in color and you can make them look angelic and you know they just they shine And I think that his use of black and white photography was um, wonderful for his commercial work because it's striking and kind of stands out um, amongst color, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I think there's a lot of different sides to it. You know, there's the familiarity growing up with it. And then there's also the, commercial side of having something distinctive. I mean, everyone knows Abercrombie's imagery because it's black and white Americana. Yeah. I mean, those photos have basically like uh, kind of decided what can be like beautiful. And it's mm-hmm. unfortunate that I think that um, women's taste in men has like drifted away since then because mm-hmm. I think like he really had it down to like a perfect science like in those, uh, you know, black and white like genital gripping like perfectly posed like masculine photos yeah well i think at that time heterosexual women were more honest about what they wanted you know and they um they weren't self-censoring as much and it was just understood that the photography was beautiful nobody had any problems with it nobody was complaining about the things they complain about now you know it was just understood like people were like not putting up this front, you know, pretending that this photography isn't gorgeous. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And like, um, when when we go to these next photos here, which is um, three photographs of Madonna for Life magazine, mm-hmm. I, I think that kind of same impulse like, still remains because even though Weber is like known mostly for these, uh, you know, very gorgeous erotic. Uh, imaginations of uh, the masculine. I, I really like when he photographs women too, because mm-hmm. like kind of his uh, sense of of gender in general like makes like these photos feel uh, full of uh, tension and uh, a really striking like sexual relationship. Like I don't mm-hmm. know, you can definitely like feel like the the delineation of gender in a really like satisfying way here, if that makes any sense. Yes. Well, Bruce Weber is interesting because he he has a wife, I believe, and he has said that he has loved men and women over his life. And uh, I do believe that. I think, as I said, that he's like a 
4.5 on the Kenzie scale, you know, um, and he clearly has a preference for men, but he also adores women. And um, I love the way he depicts women too. You just don't quite see it as much. Um, but these pictures of Madonna really capture her androgyny. So this is like 1986. Um, so it's still early Madonna and um, they're so sensual and she has this like rolled up t-shirt on it's um and this short hair and in other pictures in the in this um series for the in this editorial for this magazine uh the androgyny is a little more i think evident mm -hmm. um and i mean she looks gorgeous as always she can do no wrong <laughs> Yeah, I definitely feel like Weber is kind of like um, like a D.H. Lawrence women in love figure where, mm -hmm. um, you know, he is with his female life partner um, and then eternally like desires like the male image as well. Um, mm -hmm. But because of like his configuration of his sexuality, like when he photographs women, he has something just so like frank and interesting. It, it makes them like beautiful in a way that feels um, very like grounded in reality i mean in these pictures of madonna you can like totally like see the italian hair on her face and like mm -hmm. the the bumps on her neck and like these like very strong uh male lines that uh, kind mm -hmm. of describe her but nonetheless it's like you still feel her as such like a, a beautiful fascinating woman yes and that's and that's Bruce Weber showing people as they are you know and showing how beautiful that can be and i mean it's interesting too, later in the um, editorial, she's photographed with her family, I think. And right. um, he, you know, again, he loves family. He actually like just, I think will ask models about their family and like wants to take pictures of families and is obsessed with family life, you know? And Madonna has a pretty big family and um, you don't really see or hear much about her siblings, but. Um, it's interesting to see them in this in this photo series where she's kind of initially shown um, kind of more androgynous and more butch, and then she kind of glams it up for the family dinner. Absolutely. I mean, that's so special. And, like, um, Madonna's, like, relationship with her family has always been so interesting to me ever since I saw, like, the Truth or Dare documentary. Mm -hmm. um, she seems very abstracted and kind of, like, uh, frightened by them. And mm -hmm. uh, seeing this, like, you know, gender transformation process where it's, like, her in this, like, very uh, erotic mode with a male hand gripping her face and her looking over her shoulder in pleasure and making out with the mirror as she eventually, mm -hmm. like, uh, returns to the family unit. Something about it to me all, like, kind of uh, rings with, like, the polyan sense of amazonian gender which is i i think how like weber kind of sexualizes women yes and i also think that he saw what madonna was you know and then yes. did his best to show it off and um yeah like family dynamics are always like a subject of her music um I mean, obviously, Papa Don't Preach, um, Mother and Father on American Life. I mean, she's, you know, oftentimes talking about um, family life. And she is, she's very much a, a mother to the world. She thinks that everyone is her. 
baby and she just wants to stop the world from killing itself yeah like you saw the nft of like her giving birth to reality out of her nft pussy, yes, right which is true it is true yeah she like <laughs> exactly did that like i've always said that like with madam x and everything it's like this is the album of a woman who is like more famous and closer to the divine than any other woman has in history and it's like her mm-hmm. looking down at her creation um, and it's something about these black and white photos of her in like this like kind of um, you know very familial and still yet yeah, like erotic mode I mean it feels like Weber knew this as well when he photographed her you're so right mm-hmm. yeah he, he captures people's essence I mean I think he can he can tell and yeah. he makes that apparent so the next photo we selected here is uh, from Vogue Italia, 1997. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are, this is a really beautiful uh, full color photo. Um, the sweet smell of summer. And yes. <laughs> I was thinking about this a lot recently because I feel like this is a good summer for a psychedelic vibe shift. And as I've been like returning to like um, 80s, like cruising activism and, uh, thinking about like these washed up pieces of art and uh, looking at like beauty. Like I just like want to spend like, you know, the next few months like in this exact mode that you mm-hmm. picked for this picture. Yeah. Well, you know, the um, link letter Weber link is direct here as we have some, um, as we have an alum of an, a link letter alum, Matthew McConaughey, um, featured in these um, photos and you know he his first big role was in Dazed and Confused um, and later in editorial I didn't include this picture but Patricia Arquette is later um, pictured later as well right. and um, it's just he Bruce Weber also loves summer <laughs> I mean it's it's funny that I haven't brought this up yet, but like a lot of his photographs are clearly taken like during warm weather, you know, he loves warmth and leisure time and, you know, having fun, like male camaraderie kind of like in the summer, going to the lake, like these things that people typically do on summer vacation. Those are usually the kind of settings of his um, photographs. And so this is the theme of this editorial and uh, they're lounging in the grass. Um, I think the model is Stella Tennant. I'm not entirely sure. I really love this photo of them um, by the water where he's like leaning back and sticking his gut out and she's uh, gingerly touching him. We've been talking like a lot about how he captures like the casual beauty so effectively, but um, this interaction seems so real, doesn't it? And it's like Mm -hmm. all the like more sexy for it. Yes. Yeah, like people aren't um, contorting themselves in his photos to look sexy. And that's an important point that I should have brought up earlier is like fashion photography in the early 20th century. um, The subjects were mannequins. And so people think mannequin, they think of an inanimate like plastic object. Mannequin actually means a model essentially and the original meaning of mannequin was a beautiful person that stood still and like showed off clothes and so early fashion photography is um a lot more posed and rigid and you know the the new school people kind of did away with that 
especially Bruce Weber, where people are in positions and making facial expressions that aren't necessarily beautiful in, you know, the very like rigidly defined sense, but they're still so radiant and, and alluring um, anyway. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And one of the most important qualities of beauty is like being like slightly unaware that, you know, you're being observed as a beautiful object. And so these like awkward contortions and like these like stupid, ugly faces that they'd be making become like so touching and like moving and sexy because Mm -hmm. um, this is, you know, something like real. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing too. If you are a beautiful person and you contort your face in an ugly way, it almost emphasizes how beautiful you are that's right you know and he i think he knows that and and bruce weber has this eye that richard linkletter also has where he kind of admires masculine beautiful men partially because he wasn't quite that when he was young and so he's kind of reaching for something that he never quite embodied he was a model briefly i don't think he was quite like you know his subjects. Um, and then Linklater was like a second string quarterback, never quite the star. So you see them like, you know, depicting these very like all American kind of like um, casually beautiful and in charge masculine guys. Yes, because when someone who has never really been able to embody the beautiful themselves is approaching beauty in general, most of their choice is usually either to submit to it or destroy it. And it's very satisfying to see both like Linklater and Weber kind of choose to just submit to it in such, you know, decadent uh, wholesomeness. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is exactly the kind of like mode I want to be living in. Like, I want to be... Um, imagining people as beautiful as this and convincing it in a way that doesn't feel like perverse or mm-hmm. like dark at all. Like it just feels so um, touching. There's something almost existential about like these photos, don't you think? Mm-hmm. It's like it's there's uh, this one single flowering of perf- like perfect youth, um, and you know that like death is in the distance, but the the moment is so singular that it feels like it lives on forever and like defeats death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these are these photos are monuments to beautiful youth, you know. And what I love about Weber and Linklater is that you know if you don't embody something that you want to embody, you can become a bitter hater, or you can funnel that. You can sublimate that into you know beautiful art um god yes that's exactly it more people should choose the latter (laughs) more people should um the last kind of a series of photos we have here is like uh this wonderful uh, duet series um and uh, his uh, imaginations of twins and uh you know we were talking about like the family but these are like really the climax it's funny how these got like ordered and and put here because it makes like so much sense to kind of end with uh these yeah i wanted i wanted these uh also because they are the more uh the most like sports oriented pictures that i could find in my archives and like um there's the ping pong picture which in um the movie there's a ping pong uh moment (laughs) that's right (laughs) (laughs) but these are uh, i i love seeing these um you know 
identical men together. We were just talking a little bit about uh, how I'm like kind of disgusted by twins, but like on, on the Patreon. But I don't know, something about these is perfect, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's this is a you know a portrait of like an all American family. Like it's at a house, and it's like these two guys. I guess they're supposed to be like teenagers, and they're pictured in swimsuits in the first photo. And then they're pictured half in formal wear, half in football um, uniform. And then there's the ping pong photo where they're in the middle of a game, you know? And so they're, um, they're focused on the ball. They're focused on the task at hand. And you see that kind of intense um, concentration and then the last photo they're wearing, I think lacrosse um, padding and they're like in the middle of like fighting kind of, one has his hand like grasping the jaw of the other. And um, it's it's funny and it's a little titillating. It's a little kind of shocking because they are twins and it's very homoerotic, but again, it doesn't feel perverse. Like it just looks beautiful. You got it exactly right. I mean, all of these pictures, it's, like you are abstracting the, this one single moment from uh, the uh, athletic uh, relationship that they have with each other and kind of uh, diving into the like, sports universe. I feel like most photographers would look at this stuff and, you know, make the obvious like porny, like kind of crap out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is something so intense and, and familial about their relationship that it suggests much more riveting emotional depth than anything that would otherwise be suggested in the hands of Mm -hmm. someone less artistic yes and also because these models are actually twins they're um lane and kyle carlson i'm not sure if they had careers beyond this but like they they're familiar with each other and so they're comfortable posing with each other they don't clearly they don't think it's weird you know and like none of these poses are weird, really. No, (laughs) no. It's just, you know, there's certain themes and imagery that you're, like, not allowed to depict anymore that, like, nobody had a problem with, you know, before. Um, And I feel like this would kind of fall in that category where people would kind of give this a double take now, whereas before um, people just appreciated it, you know. I can't stop looking at this picture of them grasping each other. Yeah, <laughs> there's so much intensity there, you know, because clearly, you know, they're brothers, they love each other, but, you know, they're kind of horsing around. I mean, you know, they're just boys being boys. They're, you know, like playing some game or whatever and just kind of shoving each other around. It's the enormous left hand and it's like huge <laughs> spreading fingers that like capture the entire shoulder um, these like endless like lines of like moving muscle on them as they're staring directly into each other's eyes. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Regardless of uh, the context or anything, this is just such a beautiful moment of human interaction. I, I can't believe that, you know, he was able to put these two men together, give them some kind of direction and, and staging and evoke something so human out of all of it. Yeah, I know, because there's so much going on and it's, you know, the one on the left seems to be saying, calm down, you know, the one on the right is pissed, but he's not going for the jugular. 
you know, it's, it's a fascinating dynamic. It is a fascinating dynamic. And all of Bruce Weber's photos are, I mean, I, I have no like summarizing comment except that like all of these, um, it, it's so refreshing to see someone dive so deep into their own sexual like, persona and then to draw out of it these really fiercely life-affirming images. Yes, we are lucky. I like you a lot, but I'm music I'm watching the boys. So I do what you want, sing it self-conscious to soak up the noise, yeah. We're rapping Everybody Wants Some is a 2016 feature by Richard Linklater, who uh, seems to be kind of despised by a lot of people. I don't know. I've uh, There's a kind of like a common appreciation for his stuff like Boyhood and Dazed and Confused, but there also seems to be kind of like a general uh, displeasure with him. But I first saw Everybody Wants Some in... Uh, theaters with my two female roommates when I was in college, um, and it was at the art cinema about two blocks away from my house in an old repurposed church called the Bijou, and I sat down for this knowing absolutely nothing about it, having seen no link later previously, and I was absolutely transfixed by its uh, beautiful portrait of a uh, team of baseball players entering uh, college, and uh, there was something so special to me about this, but um, I-, I wanted to know a little bit about your relationship with Linklater. Well, I hadn't seen any Linklater except School of Rock when you reached out to me to do this podcast, and I was like, I don't want to talk about something if I don't know anything about it, so I like watched a lot of his movies, and two documentaries about him in preparation and um I love him I love his movies I I understand like the disdain for him is similar to the disdain for Bruce Weber where it's not um based on legitimate reasons I think (laughs) and I remember when Boyhood came out I didn't see it when it came out I watched it you know recently when I was watching a bunch of his movies and um, it was amazing, and it's like undisputably great. But when it came out, people were upset because they thought that it was white supremacy, 
or something like that. So oh, great. that's kind of. <laughs> I can't even imagine that. Being, that didn't even occur to me that that would be the reason people that hate is it. Why. Oh my god. They oh my they god. thought it was white supremacy because <laughs> its subjects are white, which is like because it's um, largely autobiographical because a lot of his work is, and so as everybody wants some, um, and so having watched a lot of his other movies um and then watching this one i was a little underwhelmed and it's just because this is not his strongest movie and um it seems like he wanted to recreate the magic of dazed and confused but he didn't quite have the cast to pull it off i mean the cast is beautiful i mean these are very this is this movie is a beefcake parade you know it's about feasting your eyes on the man candy on the screen i mean that's what it's about you know so (laughs) if you go into it i think understanding that i think um you know it's it has its merits but i think that it's just not his strongest um, yeah, I, I definitely think that because this is kind of uh, postured as a spiritual sequel to Dazed and Confused, which I think is uh, far and away the superior film. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- what makes this so special to me is it's unadulterated, just completely um, extreme sexualization of its male cast in a mm-hmm. way that is very Weber-esque to me because yes. none of it ever feels... Uh, prying or evil or um, like perverse in the Pasolini way. Uh, This is really just uh, male beauty at its finest. And um, I I definitely want to talk about Days and Confused and and Boyhood and quite a few other of his features like in in the future. Uh, But Everybody Wants Some to me is like the perfect like summer pairing with uh, the Weber photos for its uh, Mm -hmm. naturalistic depiction of these beautiful beautiful men and that's like really like i could like end the episode there but i mean i can endlessly talk about how hot this movie is it's insane (laughs) it's very yeah it's very um weber-esque and there's even a scene at a lake that is very similar to bear pond um and it's it's fascinating because linklauder isn't gay but what he's doing with this movie is he's vicariously living like reliving his youth through these handsome fit young men who you know are in their prime and he is not shy from just you know showing off their bodies and i mean he's because he you know clearly um is reminiscing because this is autobiographical like a lot of his other movies and he's probably <laughs> reminiscing on the way he used to look and you know on that stuff as men get older they um they really um get depressed about their their decline in physical ability you know and i feel like he is living vicariously through these um strapping young baseball players partying yeah. just getting ready for school to start it takes place like um, is it like three days before school starts or something? There's like a countdown clock <laughs> that you see occasionally. Um, yes. but the guys are just like partying. Um, they're going out, they're trying to get laid and they're hazing the new guys. And 
they're chatting, they're smoking weed. I mean, you know, it's it's like a lot of his other movies where it's a lot of um, dialogue and that is the plot. You know, if you're looking for a plot with a capital P, that's Linklater doesn't give you that. Like you, the dialogue is the plot. That's exactly right. Um, he has a quality to his movies where his uh, nostalgia and his uh, sense of time definitely creates like the central focus of the movie. And so it's kind of like this reimagined and reconstructed memory of, of the past. And this takes place like in the uh, end of the summer in 1980, as you said, with um, this uh, very beautiful young pitcher uh, joining the baseball team at a university in Texas. And there is no conflict. There is no antagonist. It is merely these three days uh, spent uh, following these men as they pursue a poon, as it were, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just kind of um, lounging around in the absolute prime of, of their maleness. I just, um, I, I really like the way that in every movie, Linklater kind of unapologetically just embraces this idealized past of uh, his own life and sort mm -hmm. of marries it to an American culturalism. And there's something very authentic and uh, touching to see someone do that without any like lens of irony or criticism and to just uh, fully dive into the human expression of feeling a uh, nostalgic pain for the past. Yes, it's a, it's a nostalgia fest. And what's interesting about it is nostalgia is not always accurate. And there are a lot of anachronisms in this movie. And um, sometimes they kind of surprised me. And I was like, well, this song didn't come out till later. And why does that girl have like Instagram brows? And, you know, but the thing is, when you remember, you know, happy times in your past, you don't remember everything accurately. And so you're going to misremember certain things and, you know, certain fashion or certain songs or whatever. And so that's not really the point. The point is like, you know, you're in an autobiographical work that is more so about the feeling than it is about the accuracy of the period, you know, and I think it's important to know that because we, there have been so many damn period pieces the past decade, <laughs> you know, and some are good, some are bad. And, um, I like that this is just like his nostalgia. So he's not trying to like make a statement about the period, you know, which is what most of the other period pieces coming out in the 2010s did. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I, I actually like when the memory kind of like breaks down a little bit because I feel like that sense of, of memory and time pass is a kind of like Proustian almost. Like mm -hmm. it feels like uh, this general, like a, um, it, it's like the memory is beginning to like ripple and, and change with uh, as time passes. And so instead of doing like um, a photorealistic reproduction of the past, because I mean, this movie was made in the 2010s and it really does feel like it was made in that era, honestly. Yes. Like, um, there's other stuff like um, like the Love Witch or like the House of the Devil that feels much more convincing in its uh, memory of uh, time gone by. But like you said, like that rippling, fading memory and uh, the intrusion of the present on it, uh, to me, it is quite touching. Yeah, it is. And it's it's 
fun and you know it's fun to watch a nostalgia fest movie that's not trying to teach us a lesson about the sins of the past you know in some sort of preachy way i mean my favorite parts of the movie are the dance scenes where we get to look at the way that people used to dance which i think the dancing was actually one of the more accurate things um in the movie and the, you know, it, dancing in, in clubs used to be so fun and it was typically, you know, partner dancing and there was more variation in movement and people were a little more like uninhibited to just kind of groove and dance to the disco music. And it's so fun and, and it's shocking also compared to what you see today in club environments, especially um, if you go to a heterosexual club where it's just twerking and very like rigid kind of insecure self-conscious movement <laughs> yeah that's something i kept noticing about like the whole like movie honestly is like just this complete lack of um like self-awareness almost like it seems that almost like with like the dawn of the internet like ego was reinvented and mm -hmm. consciousness was as well and it might be impossible to like reach this kind of ecstatic lack of self-awareness again and yeah. to see you know a recreation of it that's so heartfelt and uh thorough i mean it is kind of painful like i do long for something like this yeah so that's the thing actually um about the self-consciousness in the dance scenes i don't think the actors come off as self-conscious or insecure but there are moments in the movie where it kind of seems like the male actors, because most of the you know main characters are male, that they're a little too aware that they're in period garb, you know? Yeah, I definitely like, noticed that too. You can tell they're kind of like, look at me with my porn mustache and I've got tight jeans on. And, and they're kind of, you can tell they're self-conscious, you know? And when you look at the supposed spiritual sequel, Days and Confused, the, the guys are in tight pants too, but they're not, they're not, self-conscious about it and um it's because you know the actors in this are like millennials and you can kind of tell because they seem a little uncomfortable or kind of like fish out of water with some of the like uh moments and situations in the movie and um you know it's just not quite they don't quite sell it the way that you would want you know yeah, I definitely think that's true. And I think, like, the sacrifice was made between, like, actors who could actually pull it off. Like, they were given away in favor of um, a beautiful cast. And mm -hmm. the casting for this movie is, um, you know, even if they're not, like, quite successful as uh, convincing actors, they it is kind of, like, a total accomplishment of uh, cinematic casting that this, like, pulls, like, the hottest men out of like every CW and <laughs> like show like mm -hmm. um, an MTV, like um, the lead actor, Blake Jenner is like a nothing C plot character from the last half of Glee. Um, mm -hmm. The what the sexiest man on screen uh, is uh, Tyler Hoechlin, who was in MTV's Teen Wolf. Mm -hmm. So like he kind of like puts together this cast of uh, men who, really cannot like sell themselves 
authentically for this 1980 uh, realization, but are so beautiful that it kind of like obliterates it for me. Yeah, he does that a lot, actually, because he he reached out to Zac Efron when Zac Efron was still working on High School Musical 3 and asked him to be in his Orson Welles movie. And Zac Efron was like, what? I mean, he couldn't believe that Richard Linklater was reaching out to him, you know, a lowly Disney, um, you know, teeny bopper heartthrob. But clearly Richard Linklater wants good looking people in his movies, you know, and that seems to be kind of like, at least in the later movies, like a priority of his. And he likes to kind of, in, in this almost like Paul Verhoeven way, like kind of pick these people who aren't really serious cinema you know people but he wants them in his movie anyway yeah absolutely and it does give like the overall effect like uh something kind of cheap and porny almost (laughs) you know what i mean but i like that effect if like that feels like a little um like a like a little gross in some way but (laughs) i i can't even you know complain or or worry about it because um some of the scenes of the men in this movie are so strikingly sexual. Um, and the fact that, you know, little Mr. Linklater, like this uh, very well-to-do, like nice, uh, good boy, straight guy is, mm-hmm. you know, detonating all of this imagery is really special to me. And I will never be able to unsee um, the image of Tyler Hoechlin leaning back on the couch with a beer and a little shortcut black jersey with like his gut out and his hairy armpits as he's like bickering with other men. And I'm like, oh my fucking God. <laughs> no one has ever seen men as beautifully as he has, I feel. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot of moments in the movie that are almost like gratuitous beefcake. You know, and that's the point yeah. of the movie. It's, that's not a complaint or a criticism. That's the point of the movie. But like, there's a moment where they're smoking weed with the bearded guy who turns out to not actually be in college. Um, and the character who's like mentally challenged or whatever, like the one who always looks really confused and kind of dumb, um, like just has his, like he's shirtless and he just has his pants unbuttoned and like his pubes are poking out. And I'm like, okay <laughs> like it's it's just funny because it's like it's not necessarily inaccurate you know um especially in 1980 male friends chilling with each other probably just like didn't give a shit you know but like it's funny that it's just like this image of this guy with unbuttoned pants like shirtless um the camera fixed on him for like two minutes yeah this like the whole movie is like 25 seconds away constantly from all of them jerking off Yes. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is, um, it's like funny that the hazing doesn't quite go as far as it could, you know, cause like, I mean, this movie is titillating because first of all, the title, which I know is like a Van Halen reference, but like calling a movie, everybody wants some with two exclamation points. Like it kind of seems like, like, uh, Chichi LaRue <laughs> production or something. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and so, you know, it's kind of like, okay, is this a porno? And then, you know, yeah, it is kind of always like teetering on full porno, um, but not quite, you know, and, and they could have done crazy homoerotic hazing and then they kind of pulled back a little. Um, 
but there is, I wanted to mention, um, a, a nice cute sex scene montage in this movie that features um, sexualized female nudity, which is like- That's right, without comment. I, I have not seen like boobs in a movie, like in a contemporary movie, because this came out somewhat recently, 2016. I mean, I like, my jaw dropped. I was just like, I can't believe it. Like they just showed boobs. I was they showed actually, boobs in a movie. I was like, <gasps> I was you know, really I felt... <laughs> shocked by this myself. I like couldn't believe it. I like reround like watch again when the oh, boob yeah, came out. <laughs> <laughs> because like, I mean, um, when was the last time that you saw like an exposed set of two nipples on two very lovely breasts um, yes. without comment or like drama? They just like come out because it's hot. <laughs> I know. I mean, I can't even think of a movie. I mean, it's like, it's just, you know, it's shocking. I mean, it's truly, I was like, I just gasped because it's like, it was, it's funny that it came out in 2016 because it seems like a little late for that to even be happening. I mean, that was already like, we were entering, you know, Trump derangement syndrome and all that. And like, you know, you didn't really see women's breasts, like, unless it was like Lena Dunham on girls kind of like doing her thing, you know, it wasn't like in this way. This is, it's such a cute kind of old fashioned sex scene montage. Um, and it's very quick, you know, but it, it was just like, thank you. I agree. Thank you very much. Um, I would have loved for this movie to have dick, but I actually like that it doesn't. And I was kind of thinking about this a little bit too, because, um, leaving that last little element uh, to the imagination is, is uh, lovely. And, um, I, you know, thinking about, like, Bruce Weber and his, uh, you know, beautiful evocation of uh, men uh, living, like, their life in the most beautiful way possible in, like, these uh, small private interactions, I just love seeing somebody embrace um, the gorgeous world as it is in this uh, totally sexual and sweet and warm summer way. Yes. Well, it's also, it's it's homoerotic in the way that Bruce Weber's pictures are homoerotic and they're not quite like homosexual, you know? Like it, it's, it's this titillating like in between kind of will they or won't they kind of like tension, you know, that's so delicious about homoeroticism. And this movie is very homoerotic. So it's not quite, it's edging you. It's not quite giving you, you know, full-blown gay porno, but it's like the the tension's there. That's right. Um, there's, like we said earlier, there's no plot to this really. Um, the big kind of climax happens when uh, Blake Jenner, little Mr. Glee, goes to a uh, theater party um, and they have one of the most, like, unrealistic scenes of the movie. Like, when I was, just, like, looking at that, I thought, like, this never <laughs> could have happened. But, like, the <laughs> fantasy of it is, like, so sweet. And um, when he finally shows up for class the, the next day and, and sits down, uh, and his professor writes down on the board, uh, frontiers are where you find them. I felt like that really actually clicked with, like, a lot of, like, my world philosophy lately. It's, like... Mm-hmm. um just, like, living a beautiful, like, sexual, like, frolicking in the Eden Garden lifestyle um, and uh, understanding that, you know, that's only a memory. It's not real. It's something that happened uh, two decades ago and is now completely vanished from society. Uh, But so long as you are on Earth and 
you know, running into new experiences, uh, there will always be a frontier to be found somewhere. Yes. And, and the frontier is also a, an image um, or like a frontier, so to speak, is an image in Bruce Weber's work as well, like big open fields and um, possibility, opportunity, you know, warmth and love. You know, you see that in, in everybody wants some. Yeah, because like frontier is another canceled word. Like you can't be frontiering anywhere because that's colonialism <laughs> or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that people are also just generally kind of uh, scared of the colonialism of their heart. Like they are f frightened of burrowing into new experiences and breaking new land. I think people mm -hmm. are very shut off to experience and seeing these like uh, stupid frat parties that they do basically where they're just like getting wasted on the roof of their house and like listening to Pink Floyd records and lying around and uh, going to punk bars and places they wouldn't have gone before like it's impossible for me to imagine uh, most people around our age to be looking for any kind of uh, those frontiers yeah well going out into anything requires putting yourself out there and potentially getting your feelings hurt, which is something that young people <laughs> are really afraid of. And I mean, this is something I talked about on the Jersey Short podcast I did with Matthew, like, you know, back in the day, you would just get like crackheads who were like, my name is Pumpkin, who were like willing to be on TV and show <laughs> the world their crazy antics and they didn't they had no qualms about it you know they were just like I am who I am like whatever you don't like it I don't give a shit you know and that was just the attitude and like I miss that attitude you know like nothing is ever going to get done if people are so afraid of like putting themselves out there in any way I mean it doesn't have to be like exhibitionist crazy but like you know it's like yeah like the the social life depicted and everybody wants some it doesn't really um exist anymore in the same way partially because of like insecurity and and a lack of willingness to just like you know come out of your shell and like take a risk yeah that's exactly it i mean i'm shocked that even you know six years ago now i was able to be like in a, a similar environment in my fraternity and you know, i had a few laughs watching this because um i remember at the end of my freshman year like um one of the older guys in the house was like, oh, like, I'm going to take you out to show you, like, my favorite game. And what he did is uh, we uh, took, like, two six-packs of beer and uh, we, like, chugged them all down and then we played golf with them on campus. You know, like, and that happens, <laughs> like, in the movie. And um, I remember being, like, nervous and frightened because I was like, oh, what if we get caught? What if we break a window? Um, but that's, like, one of the, my most, like, shimmering, uh, beautiful private memories of that time in my life. And... It is, mm -hmm. you know, crushing and sad that people can't look into the Bruce Weber frontier and, you know, journey into it. Because if they were able to, they'd find, like, the kind of natural ecstasy that he photographs and, and Richard Linklater idealizes here. Yeah, and, you know, Bruce Weber loves to depict um, male camaraderie, kind of like a sports team dynamic, you know. And, and I mean, on sports teams, you know, you just you horse around and you just have fun doing like whatever. I mean, you know, you can have fun like <laughs> playing stupid games and just like 
horsing around and you don't need to have some elaborate, you know, hangout, whatever. I mean, it's just casual um, camaraderie and it's beautiful to behold. And yeah, I hope, I do see, actually, I see kids like around town kind of going outside and um, <laughs> skating seems to be in again. And I'm like, good, you know, like just get out and like horse around. Now try something new. Um, mm -hmm. Looking back at the wonderful photography of Bruce Weber, sorry, Bruce Weber, <laughs> here come my drinks, but um, looking back at Bruce Weber and looking back at everybody wants some, um, as I'm re-philosophizing the world and in, in my new vision, uh, what do you think I should be taking from these uh, into my new realization of the universe? Well, I think that everyone should learn from Bruce Weber and Richard Linklater and any frustrations or shortcomings that they have, they should funnel that energy into creating something beautiful and appreciating the beauty in others and the beauty in the everyday. And, you know, embrace love. <laughs> I think that's perfect.